Good morning. morning. It's always an honor and privilege to be with you. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Dear Lord, we just come before you today, and we just want to thank you for this great privilege you have given us to gather together in your name. I just pray as we go into the sermon, you let the cares and concerns about the world and all the things we're going through just fade from our mind for the short time we have together so we can concentrate on your word and what you want us to learn. And I just pray that you're just glorified in our worship of you this morning. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have not already done so, will you please be, please join me in turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, which is often referred to as the lost and found chapter. This is a story that is best known as the parable of the prodigal son. And many people see it as a simple story about a rebellious son returns home after a period of living in sin. Other people refer to it as the parable of the older son, and they only see it as a story of a self-righteous man who did not understand grace. Other people see it as a story that is meant to illustrate the gospel and true repentance. According to Gerald Bilks, it offers not only a gripping story but it is also a beautiful summary of the gospel of God's love and forgiveness. Though this parable is essentially about true repentance, it does more than simply illustrate and apply the doctrine of repentance. Though it does that stunningly, this parable actually give us, gives us a way to view the work of grace from the perspective of the heart of the Father. While all other perspectives have merit, I would argue that this parable is really about a father who had not one, but two lost sons. Whenever we look at a familiar passage of of Scripture like this one, we have to be careful that we don't lose our focus and miss what God is trying to teach us. I pray that God will give me the words to say and open your ears and hearts to the message of this famous parable. Chapter 15, starting verse 11. And he said, A man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate, living recklessly. And now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was desired to be fed with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will rise up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he rose up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. 
and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And summoning one of the servants, he began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received them back safe and sound. But he became angry and not wanting to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I never have I neglected a command of yours. And yet never have you given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Child, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and is alive and was lost and has been found. This morning we're going to examine this parable of the two lost sons in five points. The reason, the rebellion, the repentance, the restoration, and finally, the rejection. If we're to rightly understand this parable, we must first look at the reason why Jesus told it to the Pharisees and the scribes. With that, let's move to our first point, the reason. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The tax collectors were Israelites who collected taxes from their own countrymen for the Roman Empire. They were allowed to increase the amount they collected to whatever they wanted and keep the difference. All of Israel saw them as traitors and knew they were getting rich by abusing their power. As a result, they were seen as being lower than dogs. The term sinners in this context was a broad term that included prostitutes and other people whose sins were very public. In the eyes of the Pharisees and the scribes, their lives had little to no value. And these were the people that were coming to Jesus. And he was receiving them. Jesus was not just having compassion on them. He was eating with them. He was socializing with some of the most despised people in Israel. The Pharisees and the scribes could not believe that Jesus was treating them with respect instead of contempt. It was in response to their thoughts, their hearts, and their comments that Jesus told them three stories. All three of the stories had the same message. That Jesus Christ seeks the lost, he saves the lost, and he rejoices over them. First, Jesus told the Pharisees and the scribes a story about a shepherd. In Luke 15, verses 4 to 7, Jesus said, What man among you, if he had 100 sheep and lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. 
Then he stirred the story of a woman who lost a coin. Starting in verse 8. Or what woman, if she has ten drachmas and loses one drachma, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the drachma which I have lost. In the same way I tell you, there is more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then finally, he told him the story that we're gonna, we are going to focus on this morning. A story about a loving father who had two lost sons. Moving on to our second point, the rebellion. Verse 11, And he said, A man had two sons. As we're about to see, one of the father's sons was an overt sinner whose sins were obvious to everyone. This son brought shame and embarrassment upon his father and his family. It's very likely that his exploits were the talk of the town and other parents would warn their children not to be like him. His other son was a covert sinner whose sins were hidden in his heart and were not seen by others. To his father and everybody else, this son would have been seen as the perfect child who was doing everything right. It's very likely that other parents would point to him as an example and tell their children to follow his example. But no matter how they looked on the outside, both sons were facing an eternity in hell. Both sons were lost. Both sons needed to be found. Both sons needed Jesus Christ. As Del Ralph Davis has said, some sinners smell the hog pen, but others reek of the church pew, and Jesus appeals to them all. As we go through this parable, ask yourself this question. Do I see myself in either of the sons? Verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. In our culture, parents often split their estate evenly between their children. So if a father had two sons, each would get 50%. However, however, that's not how it's done in the Jewish culture in the time of Jesus. The oldest son would get the majority of the estate. He would get, if, he, if the father had two sons, the oldest son would get two-thirds, and the younger son would get the remaining third. What this younger son asked the father to do was shocking. It was disrespectful. It was definitely a violation of the fifth commandment to honor your mother and father. He asked his father to give him his share of the estate right now. That was something that was just not done. You did not get your inheritance while your father was alive. You only got it after he died. The younger son basically told his father that you are dead to me. That he valued his money and his property property more than him. It was an outright rejection of not only his father, but his family, his people, and their land. But what was equally shocking was that the father did it. He gave his rebellious son exactly what he wanted, his share of the estate. Now, pulling out a third of the estate was not easy to do. It was not as simple as cutting a check, since the estate would have been comprised of land, livestock, and crops. The father would need to liquidate a third of everything he owned and give the proceeds to his younger son. Then he would have to live off the remaining two-thirds until he died and it passed along to the older son. Verse 13, 
And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate, living recklessly. The money was burning a hole in his pocket, and he wasted no time. Almost as soon as he received his inheritance, he took off to a foreign land. He took everything he had and had no intention on returning. Without the accountability of his loving father, the younger son totally gave himself over to a sinful lifestyle. He was not a good steward of the small fortune that he received. And as verse 13 tells us, he squandered his estate living recklessly. Now the text is not going to detail on exactly how he was living, but it most likely involved parties, foolish spending, and prostitutes. Without a doubt, how he was living brought shame and embarrassment upon his family. Verse 14. Now when he spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. Just like a college student gets hit in the face with reality when he maxed out his first credit card and has nothing to show for it, the younger son had to face reality. He was broke. He was destitute. He wasted away all of his money and had nothing left when he needed it most. A severe famine had struck the land and he had no money to buy the scarce resources that he needed to survive. The days of the parties and living high were gone. All of his so-called friends disappeared as soon as the money was gone. He was left all alone. His life was in the gutter and there was no one around to pull him out of it. He was now just trying to survive. One commentator has said, This is what living apart from Christ looks like from the vantage point of heaven. God the Father watches over his rich but rebellious children, squandered his love and riches as they run from him to the far country of sin. Sinners want all of the goodness of God's creation and the enjoyment of God's blessings, but they do not want God himself. They do not understand his fatherhood. They refuse to return his love. Unless God restrains the sinner, they squander their lives and waste away as they chase every desire of the flesh. My friends, this famine did not strike the land by chance. It was not a random act of nature. It was an act of God's grace. It was an act of his mercy. This famine was sent by our sovereign God and was meant for good. It was meant to bring the younger son to the end of himself and to bring him to repentance. Verses 15 and 16. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was desiring to be fed with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. The younger son went from living a dream to living a nightmare. He had hit rock bottom and found him in a place where he never thought he would be. Just like the younger son, your sin can bring you to places where you never imagined you would find yourself. He was so desperate that he did what was unthinkable for a Jewish man. He degraded himself and went to work for Gentiles, feeding and caring for swine. According to the law, the pigs were unclean animals, and Jewish men were forbidden from eating or caring for them. Now let's move on to our third point, the repentance. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here of hunger. In the beginning of this verse, it says the younger son came to himself. 
Your translation may say that he came to his senses. Both their translations may give you the wrong impression. In a way, they make it sound like the younger son was out of his mind. That he was insane. That his sinful living was the result of a mental illness. But that is definitely not the case. He was perfectly sin when he was wasting his way. Wasting his life and money living in sin. What he was doing was sin. It was not a symptom of a disease. He was living in sin because that is what he was. A sinner. And that sin started in his heart. In Mark 7, 20-23, Jesus said, That which proceeds out of the man, that is which defiles the man. From within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. When the text says this young son came to himself, it meant that he realized for the first time the gravity of his sin. It was the beginning of his repentance. God had opened his eyes and he started to see himself as God saw him, a sinner in need of grace. My friends, have you ever truly seen yourself as a sinner in need of grace? Verse 18, I will rise up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. The phrase sinned against heaven is another way of saying that you sin against God. The young son realized the vertical and horizontal nature of his sin. How his actions were against his father and against God. But did you notice that he said he sinned against heaven before he said he sinned against his father? The younger son realized that his sin, just like all sins, are against God first and foremost. Your sins are no different. When you sin... They are against God first and foremost. Verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. The son realized that his sin severed his relationship with those he sinned against. That his father had no obligation to receive him or to forgive him. That they had every right to reject him. His only hope was to throw himself at the feet of his father and ask for mercy. And even if his father showed him mercy, he did not expect to have that relationship fully restored. At best, he hoped to be treated as a servant or a hired hand. Verse 20. So he rose up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The younger son made this long journey broke and penniless. While he came empty-handed, he came with something more valuable than money and material things. He came with a repentant heart. While he was still far from home, something amazing happened. His father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. For his father to see him when he was so far off, it meant that his father was looking for him. Think about the countless days and nights that this loving father spent staring into the distance, hoping and praying that his son would return. Then one day, his prayers were answered. He saw his son. When he saw him, he did what no one expected him to do. He ran to him. In this culture, 
dignified men did not run. It would have been shameful. But this father did not care. His wayward son was returning to him. This loving father ran to his son and gave him the greeting that his son did not expect. He embraced him and kissed him. He received him as a son. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The younger son repented to God and his father. This, my friends, is a picture of true repentance. He humbled himself, confessed his sin, and threw himself at his father's mercy. Now let's move on to our fourth point, the restoration. The father did not look at his son and tell him how much he hurt him and their family. He did not give his son a lecture or beat him over the head with a long list of everything he's done wrong. He did not, he did not compare him to his older brother. He did not talk to him about how he should be more like his brother. He did not give him ultimatums or stipulations. What did this loving father do? He extended mercy and grace to his younger son who had so boldly sinned against him. The son who rejected him. Verses 22 to 24. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf. Slaughter it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. By having sandals placed on the younger son's feet, it signified that he was a son and not a slave. During this time period, slaves went barefoot and the sons of the landowners wore sandals. The ring and the rope signified the son received the father's favor and affection. He was fully restored as as his son. And the father saw this as an occasion that required a great celebration. When we read this account, I hope you can see how it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. I hope you can see how the Father represents Jesus Christ who seeks and saves the lost. How He makes those dead in sin to be alive in Him. How salvation is not based upon your works or performing penance. How it's not about cleaning yourself up so that God will receive you. How it's not about something that is owed to you. How it is a gift from our merciful God. In Ephesians 2, 8-9, Paul reminded us that, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. This account also teaches us that the salvation of a sinner, any sinner, is something to rejoice over. That We also see how even the angels in heaven rejoice. But unfortunately, we're about to see the older son did not respond with joy and did not celebrate that his brother was redeemed. Instead, he responded in the same way that Pharisees and scribes did when they saw that Jesus was eating with the tax collectors and sinners. With disgust. When Jesus told this part of the story, it was meant to expose the wicked, sinful hearts of the Pharisees, Pharisees and scribes who had no concept of grace. They are the older brother in this story. What about you? Are you like the older brother? Now let's move on to our fifth and final point. The rejection. Verse 25. 
Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. When the younger son returned home, the older son was not there to greet him. He was off doing what he's been doing his entire life. The right thing. He was doing the respectable thing. He was doing what a son was expected to do. He was serving his father by working hard in the fields. While his brother was off living like a king and having fun, he was laboring under the hot sun. And it's safe to assume that with every day, his bitterness and resentment for his brother grew more and more. And that resentment turned to hatred. My friends, let that be a warning to us that once the root of bitterness starts to grow in a person's heart, it is so hard to kill and will take you to places you do not want to go. After yet another hard day out in the fields, the older son returned home and was greeted by something unusual, a large party. There was music, there was dancing, there was celebrating, there was rejoicing. What in the world was going on? This type of party was not something you throw on a Friday night because you had a hard day at work. This type of party was something that was only thrown on special occasions. Something big must have happened. Verses 26 to 27. And summoning one of the servants, he began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. The older son couldn't believe what he just heard. His brother, the younger son, had returned home and was received back with open arms. After all that he had done, how could his father receive him back? He had disrespected their father, their family, their country. He brought shame onto the family by running off to a foreign land and indulging in all types of sin. In his eyes, his brother did not deserve mercy. He did not deserve grace. He deserved to reap the consequences of his sin. Their father should have rejected his brother or at most made him serve them as a slave. But his father did not do that. Instead, their father had mercy on his brother and extended grace to him. And just the thought of his brother receiving grace repulsed him. Verse 28. But he became angry and not wanting to go in. His father came out and began pleading with him. The older brother's response exposed his true heart. That he did not understand grace and did not see a need for it. Once again, this loving father did the unexpected. Fathers did not go out to their sons who were having a temper tantrum. Sons went to their fathers. But this one did. Just like he ran to his younger son, he went out to his older son to plead with him. Verse 29. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and never have I neglected a command of yours. And yet never have you given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. If we're honest with ourselves, we can sometimes understand where the older son was coming from and think that he made some good points. We look how he stayed and continued to serve his brother, brother when his, to serve his father when his brother left. How he must have had to work harder and longer to make up for his brother not being there. How he's obedient to all of his father's commands. How he lived a life that brought glory to his father instead of shame. How his father never gave him a small goat to throw a party with his friends, 
but he threw a great party when his brother returned home. And his father did not just slaughter a small goat for the party. He had the fattened calf slaughtered. A fattened calf was much more valuable and expensive than a small goat. And also in our text, did you notice it said the fattened calf? Instead of a fattened calf? It's possible they had only one. But if we step back and think about the story, you realize the older son was only serving his father out of obligation. He never had any true love for his father or his brother. Like the Pharisees and scribes, he was obsessed with religious piety, but had no category for forgiveness. According to John MacArthur, religious people are resistant to the only thing that can save them, grace. Religion is usually more damning than outright rebellion, but God offers forgiveness to both kinds of sinners. He does it for his own joy. Verse 30, But this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. Just like the Pharisees, the older son thought he was better than the people who were living in open sin. His comments remind me of the Pharisee in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. The older son did not realize that his sins damned him just as much as someone whose sins were obvious to others. Worse yet, he did not see people living open sin as being worth saving or rejoicing over. To him, they deserve to be rejected and forgotten. Verses 31 to 32. And he said to him, Child, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive and was lost and has been found. The father reminded his older son that his love was always available to him, that it was always in front of his face every moment of every day. While his brother openly rejected their father's love, he had rejected it in his heart. He may have been at his father's side every day, but on the inside, his heart was miles away. So what happened next? Did the older son come under conviction and repent? Did he realize that even though his cup looked perfectly clean on the outside, it was filthy on the inside? Or Or did he remain in his sin and let his bitterness consume him? Unfortunately, we do not know. The scripture is silent on on the outcome. We are left to speculate. But we do know the older son represented the Pharisees and scribes. And we know what happened to them. This parable did not convict them or lead them to repentance. In a short amount of time, they were used the Roman government to crucify Jesus on a wooden cross. But what they meant for evil, God meant for good. It was on that cross where Jesus Christ was the propitiation or sin offering for the sins of all those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Him alone for their salvation. Now let's briefly look at what we can learn from the three characters in this story. First, the younger son, who's better known as the prodigal son. He's an example of how we should respond to sin in our lives. So let me ask you a question. Are you like the younger son, where you're living in a lifestyle of sin. You may not profess Christ, and someone may have dragged you here this morning. Or you may be saying, that can't be me. 
I'm sitting in this pew like I do every Sunday. But my friends, there are many ways to be a prodigal. You may be warming a pew this morning, but as soon as you walk out the door, you flee to a far off land where you live like the devil and your lifestyle blasphemes the name of Jesus Christ. If your walk does not match your talk, then you should not have any assurance of your salvation. If any of that describes you, follow the example of the younger son and come to Jesus Christ with a repented heart. He will forgive you just as the father forgave his younger son. The younger son also gives hope to the parent whose child has rejected all that he was taught and is off living in sin. Take comfort in knowing that no matter what your son has done or is doing, he is not outside the reach of God. If he can save someone like the younger son, then he can save your child. My friends, if this is your situation, do not ever give up praying for them. Pray that God would do whatever is necessary to bring the repentance. Even it means turning their word upside down to bring them to the end of himself, just like he did to the younger son. Next, let's look at the older son and how he is a warning to us. A warning not to be like him. In our religious tradition, we can easily fall, fall into what people refer to as the older brother syndrome. This syndrome can be fatal to your soul and must be guarded against and repented of. The older brother syndrome is where a professing believer lives a Christian life but has not truly been converted. They confuse religious piety for a transformed heart. They may look like a super Christian on the outside, but on the inside their heart is cold and dead. Just like the older son, they are serving God out of obligation and not love. They fool themselves into thinking they're saved because they profess the right confession, have their theological eyes dotted and T's crossed. They're so concerned about living a holy life that they set up strict standards and invertedly cross the line into legalism. They look down on professing believers who don't live up to their unachievable standards and view them as substandard Christians. They look at unbelievers living like an unbeliever with disdain. If this describes you, respond like the younger son did. Run to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. And finally, the Father serves an example of how we should receive sinners who have repented of their sins. Just like Jesus Christ received sinners with open arms, we should do the same. We should not use their past against them or make them prove that their repentance is genuine. We should seek the lost and point them to Jesus Christ so they can be saved. And as we come to a close, I pray that you will take to heart the lessons that God wants to learn from this famous parable. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we come before you today. We just want to thank you just for the blessing of your word. I just pray that you help us all examine ourselves to see if we're like either of these fathers' two lost sons. And if we are, I pray that you just grant us the mercy that we respond like the younger son and run to Jesus Christ in repentance. And we, we know that you are faithful and you will grant, that, you'll grant us salvation if we come to you in repentance and faith. And we also just want to give you glory in all things. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.